Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about. I'm Holly Wainwright. I am head of content here at Mamma Mia. We thought we should introduce ourselves a little bit more. Uh, Those of you who know me know my voice, my dulcet tones, originally from Manchester in the UK. And I work here with... I'm Jessie Friedman. (laughs) This is... Guys, this is going to be seamless. We're going to explain why in a moment. I tell you what, we'll point... I'm, I'm going to go first. Thank you, Mia. Second. I'm Jessie Stevens, and I am the assistant head of content here at Mum Mia. I'm a writer and an editor and the host of True Crime Conversations. I sound a little less cheery in that one. Got to be quite monotone to respect the content. And I also do Married at First Sight recaps, which is, you know, the highlight of my career. And I'm Mia Friedman. I changed my title on the reg, but I am the co-founder of Mamma Mia and... What, what, what did I call myself recently? The chief... Honey, creative officer. Creative officer. I don't know, something. Doesn't she's, matter. She's important. On today's show, is it ever okay for a partner to comment on what you eat? And there's been a battle for hearts and minds played out in red carpet frocks and public PDA over in England. And it looks like Harry and Meghan have won it. But first... Where are you, Jesse? Because we're recording this episode a little bit differently to, us- to how we usually do it. Mia and I are in the studio in Sydney and you are a head floating on a screen on our computer. I am in a little bit of social isolation. I returned from Japan. We were meant to go to Hokkaido, which is at the top, for a skiing holiday that we'd booked more than a year ago. And this then is the- you and your boyfriend, Luca Levine, am I yes. right? Yes who is also Mia's son, uh, for anyone who has missed that little tidbit. But we were travelling. We had booked this holiday a very long time ago and then we were probably 12 hours from getting on a plane at night and I was doing my nightly sweep of the news and read that Hokkaido was in a state of emergency because of coronavirus. And so it was very difficult to get any information about whether you should go or whether you shouldn't. But what a state of emergency meant in this particular circumstance was that there was a lockdown and that everyone was being advised to stay indoors because there had been quite a significant jump in numbers in the few days before. So we ended up getting uh, really helpful advice, which was basically there's a state of emergency, stay where you are. We were in Hiroshima at the time. Stay where you are and then come home as soon as you can. That's probably the most sensible thing to do. So we did that. And then there was a lot of sort of Who organised that evacuation? Oh, um, <laughs> look, I was supportive Pointed of, question, Mia Friedman. You know what? I will have it on the record that it was me at night going, I don't think we should go given there's a state of emergency. I woke the old man up who was asleep because it was, you know, 8.15. <laughs> and then I went to sleep while he organised our flights back. So he was up all night. I thought, what can I do to help? I can I can be unconscious. So I had a really good <laughs> night's sleep, thanks for asking. And then we returned and there's been a lot of 
competing information and advice, but basically it was decided that we would go into self-isolation for two weeks. So I've been working from home for the last few days, but from sort of Japan, South Korea, Italy, there's, you know, a suggestion that you should probably not be going to sporting events and nightclubs. So, Jesse, which you go to loads of sporting events and nightclubs, you and Luca. Um, you and Luca have now been living in a confined space together with no other humans, the two dogs with you, for 10 days. Yes. Uh, you've got another few days to go. I'm really interested to know how that is. Like, are you doing each other's heads in? Are you really good at giving each other space? Are you fighting? Are you not, like, how, what's, how are you entertaining yourselves? What's going on? It's, look, it's pretty funny. A few days down, we, we got quite anxious because we didn't know how it was going to go. So I kept trying to start a fight because I thought that might be interesting. So we're in the kitchen and I sort of kept standing on his foot. And then he was like, oh, you stepped on my foot. And I was like, you want to fight about it? And then I kind of brainstormed with some friends about what I might be able to start with him in order to fight. I was like, maybe I bring up his mom. Maybe I say things like, oh, why are you so close to your mum for? And then, like, we could fight about that. That didn't work. So then um, Luca started putting on jazz music at five o'clock and he dances. Like, he pulls his pants up under his arms and he sort of does this dance for the dogs. <laughs> well, he'd be delighted to know oh, that Australia knows that now, Jesse. He'll kill me. Do, doing lots of cooking, lots of reading, lots of writing. So I've I've written a bunch in the last few days because I'm trying to write a book. So that's actually been every writer's dream. <laughs> so I know jealous. Holly's been Can jealous. Can I go on isolation you too? You should just start coughing. <laughs> so what's important to note is that, you know, in most cases, you and Luca don't live together yet, but people would just be able to self-isolate at home. But because you live with Claire, who works here at Mamma Mia, and Luca lives with us, and we also work here at Mamma Mia, we decided that we had to isolate you away from everything. So you had to go and stay at a family friend's house who happened to be away up on the central coast. So you haven't even, we sent the dogs with you, but it was very funny because Luca and Jesse came back and they had to collect some summer clothes and also they wanted to take the dogs, but we had to park Luca's car, which we packed with all their stuff. I got Jesse's stuff from Claire and I packed Luca's stuff via FaceTime. And then we packed up the car and parked it like on the street. And then we stood like 50 metres away. Waving. <laughs> Waving. Oh, my God. Throwing things at us. Like, can I have a, pa- a pair of headphones? Can I please have, a, like, then there was yeah. Luca asked for a coffee. So a coffee was delivered in the driveway. He had to step back. The coffee was, it was honestly ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> mm. there's definitely, look, we've been very careful. And I have do you felt under- well? Yes. Amazing. Never felt better. It's great. Although I must say in the first few days, because I'm quite prone to, health anxiety I think and so the first few days every morning I woke up I was like I've got it I've got it I'm feeling fatigued I'm feeling sleepy and then I just got so anxious all I wanted was to get a test just for peace of mind which of course you can't do and that Mm. wouldn't be good it would be a waste of resources but that was weird to sit around waiting to be sick but then I think we've kind of gone, you know, this is, I I think I would be really anxious if I was at work thinking, oh, I could get sick and there are, you know, people who are pregnant around me or people who, you know, don't have strong immune systems or could give it to their elderly parents or whatever. So I just think it's definitely the most sensible thing to do. Have you got toilet paper? Yes, we do. Luckily, got enough toilet paper. We've been ordering stuff from like supermarkets and having it delivered. 
that's been quite good. But I have I've lost my mind a little bit. Like I've been online this week and I have forgotten how to speak to people respectfully, which has been interesting. I I got into the morning meeting yesterday and I just started yelling my pitches, which were probably (laughs) a little bit panicked. I really enjoy telling people the worst case scenario for coronavirus, which no one wants to hear and isn't helpful. But I don't have any barometer of like what's normal anymore. To be honest, Jessie, I don't think anybody does. I don't think that anybody, whether they're in isolation or not at the moment, knows whether we should be telling each other all the horror stories or telling each other it's all going to be fine because nobody knows for sure. And that's been really interesting watching the media play this out. And and here at Mamma Mia, every day we're making decisions, of course, about how many stories to publish about the coronavirus, what the, what kind of tone they should take. And we said on Out Loud last week when we didn't have you here, my friend, that on Out Loud we're going to talk a lot about how people are feeling about coronavirus, but we're not experts in this. And there's way too much information out there from people who are not experts in this. So we've done lots of episodes of The Quickie, our news show, which is, a, which is much more factual and we've got a really good one yesterday about what it actually feels like we've got a really good one tomorrow about what it's like to be in lockdown but a lot of the hysteria and the question marks about whether or not you should be in lockdown just like you just talking about should you have self-isolated or not are coming out in all kinds of news stories and very notably this weekend in the story about the Melbourne doctor So Chris Higgins is a Melbourne GP who um, has tested positive for having the coronavirus. Father of Missy. He is. And so at the weekend, the first thing that happened is that the Victorian Health Minister, uh, Jenny Makakos, came out and and said that she was flabbergasted. That was the word that she used, that a GP from Melbourne had seen up to 70 patients and has now tested positive for the coronavirus. And the first wave of media about it was was very critical. And I have to say, even myself looking at that at home, I was like, oh my God, that sounds that sounds terrible. But just like anything in the world ever, as soon as you hear a little bit more about it and you learn the other side of the story, you suddenly start to look at that differently. So what came out next is that, yes, indeed, this GP is Chris Higgins, who is the doctor of Missy Higgins, the pop star. Not that that is relevant, but obviously makes it a more juicy story. And that he himself had come back from America and he'd been on a flight. He had none of the symptoms that anyone was looking for. He had a very slight sniffle, but by the time he got back to work, the sniffle had gone and he went to work. And then it turned out that he was tested for the coronavirus, which he said when he did the swab, he did it because medical professions are encouraged to do it. He found out that he did have it and he was flabbergasted. Now, there was all the criticism at the first for how could a doctor be so irresponsible. And then very quickly, the next wave of criticism is of the Victorian health minister, of doctors like Karen Phelps and lots of um, doctors, groups, representatives saying this is vastly unfair. Chris Higgins himself has come out and said this is vastly unfair. And also making the point that health professionals have to go to work sick all the time. And he wasn't sick as in coughing, spluttering, snotty. But this is the thing that's interesting about this is everybody does. This is, It's very hard to know where to draw that line. And it's been really interesting watching it play out. Do you remember a few years ago there was an advertising campaign for a, a cold and flu medication and it was all about soldier on? Mm. Soldier on with codril, soldier on, soldier on. And it was, I got to sing. Yeah. I just oh, snuck no. that one in. And there were all these people, you know, 
taking their medication and going to work and going to school. And that was the philosophy that you shouldn't take sickies, you should try to push through it. And we've always had a very different view at Mamma Mia. We have a red card policy so that if anyone's coughing or sneezing, they get the red card. And it's funny, we often have the reverse problem here of people pretending that they're well and coming to work. <laughs> and then everyone just, we've got the ability to hold up the red card. It's funny, my, my daughter's at school, she's not at school this week because she's been unwell, she's just got a cold. But ever since I interviewed Gabby Stroud, who is a teacher, and she said, you know, the number of parents that send their kids to school sick is really terrible. And I've thought about it a lot more and the responsibility that we all have to self-isolate when we are sick. I know, but it's a privilege to be able to self-isolate. Yeah, that's true too. It's a privilege for people to not go to work and then not get paid. It's a privilege to be able to... What The reason that parents send their kids to school sick is not because they don't care, and and I'm not saying it's a good thing. I agree with you, Mia. We should be much more vigilant about it. I know I should be much more vigilant about it. But it's often because they've got no one to look after them if they don't go. How many sick days can they take? Do they even have sick days themselves? So this is why this is a very confusing moment because... Even if you absolutely want to do the right thing and be the responsible citizen, we all have heard the reports all week and that we're teetering on the edge of recession if we're not already in one and that we're teetering on the edge of a global recession. So everybody's anxious about their jobs, about their ability to earn money. And it's just a very difficult time to be going like, you know what, I'm just going to stay home. Because some people can work from home, but a lot of people cannot. It's also a good time to consider that 25% of Australia's workforce are employed casually, which means that you can't take a day off because you're not entitled to any sick leave. So there were people who came back from, you know, China after January, were told to self-isolate for two weeks, and that would mean that they couldn't pay their rent or that they couldn't buy school uniforms for their kids. So when you're making a choice, I can see how you might make the one that you know can can probably be perceived as a little selfish or or whatever but i think we're also existing at a time when we've been quite especially in the western world quite individualistic in in terms of how we look at health and this is really considering the tribe over the individual because mm-hmm. we're not self-isolating for ourselves we're doing it for the people who are more vulnerable than we are and there's been a lot of rhetoric about you know, don't don't worry, most people are going to be fine. It's just old people and sick people who die. And it's like, can we please take out that just? Because that's not something that I, I don't think any of us should be willing to sacrifice. People who have, you know, compromised lungs or, are, you know, are, are going through chemotherapy or are over the age of 80. I think it, we have to do everything we can. And in, in the case of Chris Higgins, I just felt that was so unfair. I was really heartened by the common sense that came out afterwards, which was just like, he's a doctor of, you know, 40 years. I'm pretty sure he wasn't going to work hoping to get people sick. It was a genuine mistake. And when you enter Australia, when we entered Australia, there weren't, you know, border security people there checking whether you were coughing or sneezing. It was very relaxed. There were more signs about swine flu than there were about coronavirus. There wasn't panic there. So we have a lot of conflicting messages and a bit of a lack of leadership, I think, in terms of whether we're meant to be panicking or not or if we're all overreacting a bit. But I think that that part of the lack of leadership, if it exists, is also because actually nobody knows. No, what to do? I I think because, you know, if you're accused of overreacting, you're going to send the economy into the toilet, right? And that nobody wants that because all the people we were just discussing are going to lose their jobs. And if you're not acting hardline enough 
then you're being irresponsible with people's health. So it's a very, very difficult time. I actually think it's a time, and it's very unlike me to say this, that we should really step back from criticising our leaders too much while they're trying to do what they're trying to do. This is an incredibly difficult complicated situation and we we're not prepared for it and we can't we need health professionals to go to work but to do so they've got to put themselves at risk we need politicians and and economists to make sensible decisions but they can't do that if they're constantly terrified that they're going to be bashed by public opinion it's kind of a, a time to be a little bit less aggressively critical i think yeah of politicians but also of each other and I think we've got to give each other the benefit of the doubt, which I feel like overwhelmingly we did with Dr. Chris Higgins. Hi. You look absolutely stunning. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, What's your I'm name? Seb. Seb, lovely to meet you. I'm lovely. Lizzie. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Guys, while I've been over here, I've obviously been watching Married at First Sight, did the same thing in Japan. People weren't as interested there for some reason. Not many people to talk <laughs> about the latest episode with. But there was something that happened this week that, I spoke lots to Luca about who is my only connection to the world. And on Monday night's episode, you'll be shocked to discover that an argument broke out between a couple. And here's what we know about it. So basically, they were about to go to the airport and this guy, Seb, said to his fake wife, Lizzie, who was actually on last season. Anyway, she's back and he suggested that she have some water before they get on the flight. And she said, I don't really want water because I might need to wee. Why we need these details, I don't know. But anyway, that's how the fight started. Anyway, then what happened was that Seb made a comment about how Lizzie was the unhealthiest person he's ever met. And in the time they've been together, which was about six to seven days, he remarked that he's never seen her eat any fruit or any vegetables. And she got very upset on the show last year. She was the one who was matched with a guy who looked her up and down and said that he might have to get her running in the mornings because of oh, Jesus. like her body, which was a revolting comment to make, and that he's never been with someone as big as Lizzie before, which, Ugh. you know, obviously was, was horrible. What and, a catch. Yeah, what a catch. Surprisingly, that relationship didn't work, so that's why she's back. Anyway. With these comments, Luca and I talked about it for ages because we were like, is it ever appropriate to comment? Obviously, it's been six days and this experiment isn't necessarily indicative of normal relationships, but is it ever appropriate to comment on your partner's eating habits, on their health more broadly, or is it a no-go zone? What, what do you think, Holly? I believe that you should not, but I'm also an enormous hypocrite because I do it all the time. I'm always saying to Brent, especially if he's gone out for a few drinks, in inverted commas, and he'll come home with a greasy chicken burger or a kebab or something, and I'm just like, why are you eating that crap? You eat too much crap. Stop <laughs> eating all that crap. You know, like I do that all the time. On the other hand, if he ever looked at me and said, why are you eating that, BLT, mm. I would lose it. I would absolutely lose it. And I think it's one of those things where there's a really serious side to this, which is that in controlling relationships, men, and I'm generalising in, in men, but will often try and control their partner's diet, exercise regime, all of those things. And it and it's, can be incredibly triggering if you suffer from any kind of body anxiety, body image issues. But I think we cross a line of intimacy with long-term partners where it suddenly becomes fine to comment on all kinds of things that is certainly not okay to comment on when you've been fake married to them for a week. Do you think that it's a it's different with women though? Because I also think there's so much wrapped up 
with with women where we have such a complicated relationship with food even those of us who have never necessarily had an eating disorder is very very complicated and there's something that feels very private about how you eat even though you do it in public it feels very very private and so for someone to comment feels like they're kind of reaching inside you and and making this this awful judgment about who you are as a person like it just it pushes makes me feel all icky. your it pushes all your guilt buttons because yeah. women as you just said jesse we I all have shame. all of these, I don't think yeah. it's guilt. I think it's shame. Uh, shame buttons. Because yeah. I know that if people ever comment on what you – like I have just learned in the same way that I have learned as I've gotten older, never to ask women if they're pregnant, not to ask them if they're having another baby. Not to, I also just never comment on what people are eating other than like, that looks delicious, can I have a chip? But like I don't – because I know exactly how – hard it can be and I've, I've lived experience of it when I've sometimes said to somebody oh that looks amazing and immediately a woman will tell you oh well I'm gonna if say she's having a burger and chips a woman will nearly always say to you give you 10 justifications for why she's allowed to eat a burger and chips yeah. in inverted commas you know like oh well I ate really healthily yesterday or oh, I'm premenstrual right now or oh, like we can't just go I wanted a burger and chips and that is absolutely because for women so much of food is caught up with shame. I think that it really depends what the word unhealthy is being used as a euphemism for because if it's being used as a euphemism for overweight, as it sounds like, I, I haven't watched this season of Married at First Sight so I don't know anything about Lizzie's physical appearance but if he is, Seb is just saying that as a way to say, hey, you should eat better because you should be thinner – then, of course, I think that's out of order. But where do you draw the line? I mean, if a partner's smoking, if they're drinking too much, if they're, you know, being with someone also, particularly if you have a mortgage or if you have a family or if you share pets, them being well and healthy impacts on your life. And so I understand that that their business becomes your business in that in that intimate way. And then, of course, there's there's the question of children. Like a lot of parents are very tortured about how we speak to children about mm -hmm. food now because when children are eating all sorts of junk, can you talk about them being healthy or unhealthy? Mm -hmm. We're terrified of obesity and we're terrified of triggering an eating disorder. So it often seems as a parent that there is no way to talk to your child about what they're eating without making a mistake. So I think it's just a really fraught area. And I think when we talk about health – I mean, my husband's constantly telling us all in the family to drink more water, constantly, because he wants us to be hydrated. Now, I don't, there's nothing shaming about that. It feels very neutral. It's just bloody annoying. And he's also not always wrong. But that's him being concerned for our health. But he never comments on what I eat, but, you know. Is that the intimacy barrier though, right? So again, if you are, if you were dating, if you're in the early stages of dating him and he was talking to you about how much water you drank, it would be different, right? It would feel controlling. I think it's an interesting conversation to have at a time when health has never been more publicly discussed, right? Like when we were in, in Japan, there was a story going around of a guy who sneezed on a train and another guy pressed the emergency button and the train had to stop, right? So I feel like we've got this sense, and it was true, it was true, it was like all in the Japan Times and stuff, but that's the times we're living in. Health, other people's health has never been more our business, not necessarily what they're eating, but isn't it interesting that we would, you know, support red carding someone, but then you see someone smoking, drinking too much, eating, you know, foods that we don't think they should eat and that's kind of the line. I agree with you. I would feel extremely uncomfortable if my partner said, 
I think your eating habits are unhealthy. But I'm a hypocrite too because I say it to my sister all the time because when she's anxious or stressed, she doesn't eat proper meals. And so I'll stop her and go, what did you have for lunch today? What did you have for breakfast? I do that all the time. And it's incredibly paternalistic and rude. And I was like, it's also caring and lovely. But she's also a 29-year-old woman who is her own person. And I think it's a question of whether your health belongs to you or whether your health is, is something that belongs to everyone and we're free to comment on it. And I'm not sure where I sit because it but, is a little bit controlling. But it's what Mia said before is that, you, you know, Claire's health matters enormously to you. You know, the person who sits next to you at work, who is not your sister and who you might like, but, you know, you have no intimate relationship with, their health is their business. But your sister's health kind of is your business. And the thing is, you've also got to remember about intimate relationships of that kind. You can say that and that's your you're fine to say that. But she's also fine to tell you to get stuffed. You know what I mean? Like you can you can say you need to eat proper meals and she can say, piss off, Jesse. Like, I'm a 29-year-old woman and that's okay too. You know what I mean? Like, I think... But you're not trying to shame her. I think it comes down to intention. Yes, intention, yeah. absolutely. I'll never forget when I worked in a different kind of all-female environment than I do now at Mamma Mia. I once was having muesli for breakfast in the office kitchen. Like, I had some muesli and I put, like, skimmed milk on it, whatever. And this woman came in and she looked at my bowl and she just said, oh, I wish I could eat muesli. She said, so much sugar. <gasps> And then she walked out and I was just like so mortified. Her intention was not concerned about my health. I've had the same thing. I had a friend make a comment when I ate a Caesar salad and she obviously thought I was eating it because I thought that it was healthy and she took it upon herself to tell me how fattening the sauce was and how if I thought that was healthy then I was actually probably wrong. And I had another friend comment my vice is Easter eggs. Like I, I can't obviously eat, like the little ones. I can't eat one. I have to eat like 55. And I was eating them and I had the wrappers in front of me and a friend turned to me and was like, look at how many wrappers there are. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Look at how – I was oh like, I'm God. totally aware of how many I've eaten. But it's funny because the shame around food for me has come from other women rather than men generally. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Yep, it's Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's over. Harry and Meghan have made their final appearance as official royals. At Westminster Abbey, they were at a church service for the Commonwealth with the Queen. The body language experts have been having a field day. I've been binging on all the media coverage over these last few days where they've done their last final appearances as royals. They've now jetted off to their life in Canada I am feeling very differently to how I was feeling last week or the week before whenever we last spoke about it because when they released that statement that seemed very, very churlish on their website about the fact that they were allowed to use royal and the Queen couldn't stop them but they've chosen not to and nerny ner I just felt 
come on, guys. Like, come on. So I didn't know how I'd feel when I saw them. And I think a lot of people said the same thing. And there were some people worrying that they'd be booed when they were in public. How are they going to look? And I thought it was such a fascinating exercise in PR spin. And the Quickie did a great episode about that today because you could tell. I mean, she's never looked better. Clearly, she stopped breastfeeding. You can just tell. And she looks – there's a look that that women get when they've stopped breastfeeding where they just – it's, it's, it's not even about their bodies. It's something that I can just recognise in their eyes. Of course, I'm wildly speculating, but I know, <laughs> I know that I look different and I can recognise it in, in other women really quickly. It's like you come back into yourself. It's sort of hard to explain. And she just looked clearly like she knew she had to hit it out of the park mm. for these few days. Her clothes were extraordinary. She's the queen of the cape. That is her signature. She wore the most extraordinary blue dress in Fiji when she was sort of around this part of the, the world for her tour. And she made, did a copy of that in red. She then wore white uh, sorry, she wore blue, she wore white, she wore red. So the red, white and blue of the Union Jack. And then her last outfit at Westminster Abbey for the church service for her last appearance as a senior royal was green, which was spring and the promise of new life and rebirth. <laughs> not that you've overthought this or anything, Mia Friedman. It's not just me. <laughs> it's um, definitely not just you. So I thought that Harry was struggling to look as happy as she did. She's an actress, remember, and I think she knew the power of those photos and I think he tried. There was that first photo on that first day of the two of them under the umbrella, which was taken by a Getty photographer, which has instantly become iconic. And it's like, they're back, they're amazing, they're living their best life. I think we saw over the next few days Harry struggling in public a lot more. There was that very awkward exchange at Westminster Abbey with William and Kate, which I watched on GIF or GIF, whatever you call it, like a thousand times. Why was it awkward? William. I haven't seen it. Oh, because Megan kind of did a, a sort of a fake smile, like trying and just going, hi. And Harry sort of did this closed lip smile and then William sort of went, hi, cursorily. And then Kate just didn't seem to say anything at all. And it was just incredibly awkward. And then I'm sure that it was William's people that leaked because I'm always like whenever you hear this behind-the-scenes information from so-called sources – I always think, okay, who looks good in this story? And that's usually a clue of who leaked it. So it said that because of the, the, the formal arrangements with walking into the church, originally Harry and Meghan were meant to be walking in with the Queen and, and Prince Charles and William and Kate and the official party. But on the weekend, they were told that they would not be allowed to walk with the official party. And reports said that they became very upset and emotional. So William and Kate stepped in to try to mediate the situation and offered to sit in the church and also not come in with the royal party. And I thought, mm, Team Cambridge <laughs> is leaking that information. Anyway, what wanna, do you guys I think about imagine, it? Imagine, you know, when you've got a big presentation at work, like you've got it's a really big day at work, and you know, you you wake up in that morning and you're like. Okay, like gotta really gotta have my game face on today. Like I've really got to nail this. This was that times a million, as you said, Mia. They knew and they've known for ages that they, they were going to have three or four days of back-to-back events that were going to be the most photographed, dissected, talked about in the world, and. It wasn't just turning up in a dress because, as just illustrated, every single movement, facial expression, choice of jewellery, hat, whatever, was going to mean something. And I just imagine that pressure and then I think that they, Harry and Meghan, must have been looking at each other every morning in bed and going, this is why we're giving this shit up. You know what I mean? Because they can't 
win that one. They, they seem to have won the PR battle mostly through looking amazing. I think that what they've done very well. And being gracious and looking happy. Yeah, I think what they've done very well in the last three days is remind everybody how very excellent they were and are at being royal. You know, all the royal family want to keep the royal family going are people who look amazing, are really natural around people, can engage really well in all those really strange, awkward situations that royals have to do, like shake hands in a line, although they didn't because of COVID, but shake hands in a line with a million people and look interested in the one little sound bout they say. These are very specific skills and Harry and Megs are actually excellent at it, naturally excellent at it. Whereas you can tell that for Kate, she's had to learn how to be good at that and now she is good at that, but I, I don't think she was at the beginning. So I think that what Harry and Meghan's PR triumph is, is they in these four days by looking incredible, by beaming, Megan in particular, by having these lovely moments where she went and spoke on International Women's Day to a group of young men and she invited one of them up to speak and he was really funny with her and she was funny with him and it was all great, is they've reminded everybody, like, this is what you're losing. And I think that is the PR triumph, really, because there were a lot of people who did think they were going to get booed. I know because England is kind of divided down the middle between people who think snotty spoilt brats how very dare they and people who are like go godspeed live your lives like that is the the division and it seems that even the media who hate harry and megs have had to grudgingly admit that they've nailed this farewell jesse do you care i don't no not at all not at all (laughs) i'm in my coronavirus bubble so unless it's to do with that then i kind of tune out. I can't believe you made me talk about this from a cupboard on the Central Coast. But there was, did you see the scene of Harry like getting his elbow and elbow bumping someone as a greeting? Yes. As as the new like greeting so they wouldn't touch hands. I just watched that on repeat being like but this is a future. Megan hugged everybody. So this I is didn't they see were that. so they were told not to that she didn't hug everybody but she hugged lots of people. So they were told just and this is a microcosm of the way the world is reacting right now, right? We've all been given instructions to not shake hands, to not hug, to not kiss. Uh, Wills and Kate followed the rules. No handshaking, none of that stuff. Harry did his own cool thing as you say, like the elbow bump like that. Uh, And Meg's just went full out for the hugs because she's like, I'm not afraid. She's like Princess Diana back in the day at the time when she uh, held hands in and caressed uh, somebody who was suffering from AIDS, HIV, which at the time was a monumental Mm. thing to do because they were the pariahs and the nation and the world was in a panic. So Megan's cuddling people, Harry's elbow bumping people and Wills and Kate have to follow the rules because Wills and Kate just always have to follow the rules. I want to clarify my breastfeeding comment because... I think there's valid points. I want to make an – but the other part of it that's important is that I have a theory and it certainly applies to me and it applies to several of my girlfriends. A woman should never make big career decisions or big life decisions but certainly not big career decisions while she's breastfeeding because you don't make good ones. And there's a reason for that. That feels like the kind of thing that a man would say to a woman – that sounds very like um, anti-feminist like, all, of you. All I can do, all I can do, is speak speak my truth, Jesse. <laughs> all I can do is speak my truth, right? So when I'm breastfeeding, I have no ambition. Like that's when I call my mum and I say, "Mum, I think I just want to give up my job and just fold teeny tiny socks." And she's always like, "Darling." There's a difference between being on maternity leave and this being your life and you actually get so much joy and you like your job. And I'm like, no, no, I just want to be home. And then, of course, when I wean, I feel very, very differently. And I've learned that some of the biggest mistakes I've made 
or tried to make have been while I was breastfeeding because nature makes us to be very focused on our babies when they're very, very small. And we've got lots of hormones and particularly when we're breastfeeding. Now, I'm only speaking for myself. This is my theory, just like the green outfit represents spring and the shoots of new life. (laughs) My theory is that Perhaps Megan should have waited till she weaned before they quit, decided as a couple to quit the royal family. Yeah, very controversial. I will, I would like to know what the out louders think in the the Facebook group. Don't at me. I just want to know if that was your, if you've got children, was that your experience of breastfeeding? Because honestly, when I stop breastfeeding, it's like night and day. I can think about myself, my life very, very differently. It's not that I stop caring about my baby, I just have more clarity on perhaps the bigger picture. Well, I've never breastfed, but my uh, good friend Sally Hepworth, who is, of course, an Australian author who I'm obsessed with, I'll have you know that she wrote a book during maternity leave, so she was very ambitious and got lots done. Which also makes us all feel very guilty because I don't mean that you can't get stuff done. It's like, oh, uh, that's fine that she's writing a book. She was already an author and we love Sally. She's now louder. But if she'd have decided to quit her job as a writer during mat leave, I would have been concerned. But she didn't. She just chose to do more of what she did. Oh, you do you. If you want to bloody dye your hair blue when you're breastfeeding, I'm all for it. I think it, it, it does. I, I can't say that I necessarily experienced that myself. How long but did you breastfeed I've, your kids I breastfed for? for nearly a year, Matilda, and I went back to work when she was six months old. So I was that woman who was pumping in the meeting room, breast, breast milk in the fridge. It was a very confusing time, but I think it was a very confusing time for lots of reasons. I think it's an interesting filter to put on Harry and Meghan, though, that basically this is Meg's, like the decision for what to do post her maternity leave is kind of the trigger for this decision mm. in the first place, you know, is that they've, um, while the baby's been small, while Archie's been small, and there's been a, a few sniffy headlines about the fact that Archie has not been in London with them, uh, but that's probably because they don't want to fly with him because, you know, the world is ending. And, you know, while Archie's been small, they're nesting in Canada. What they're doing now is prepping for the next stage, whether that yeah. is, as people say, that she's going to have a big role in a Marvel movie, which would be hilarious if she does, or whether it's giving Goldman Sachs um, speeches for lots of money. I also just want to say to all the outlouders and everybody who's looking at all this footage and looking at the way that Kate's looking at Megan and Megan's looking at Harry and when you work in the media, particularly old school traditional media, you can find a frame of a photograph that tells any story you want to tell. When I worked in magazines, we would go through a million frames of a paparazzi shoot or a, an event shoot to find that one frame where she looked like she hates her and he looks like he's bored. And Yeah, but I watched you know. the video. Oh, no, so I'm not saying that I don't <laughs> think there's any truth to anything. Harry but what I mean William is you hate just remember all the time. Well, of course they do. Because they hate each like, other. With all of this said, I don't believe they hate each other. But Shit's gone down. But with all of this said, it's all very nice for Megan that she's going off to green, you know, to be in green and be spring. But Kate, who's got three small children, has never worked harder. She's bloody running out of the blocks at the Olympic Stadium. She's doing podcasts. She's doing this. She's doing that because they bloody have to because two of the senior royals who did their work for them have quit and the other one of the senior royals who did some work for them is a disgraced, alleged paedophile. So I think that actually if Wills and Kate are a bit pissed off, they're fair enough. But all I'm saying is... Just beware tabloid rumours because you can justify any angle you want to with a well-chosen picture. 
That is all we have time for on Mamma Mia Out Loud this Wednesday. We will be back on Friday with Jesse still in isolation and then Jesse will be back in the studio with us, hopefully, fingers crossed, who knows what might be happening the way the world is moving. On Monday, tell us what you think about this or any of the topics we talked about today in our Out Louders Facebook group or by calling us and leaving us a message on the pod phone, which we love, and you might end up on air on 028999386. This episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud is produced by Lem Zakaria and we will see you on mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Ciao. Bye.